Welcome back to the Breath of Heaven podcast. You know, I feel like there's nights that we jump into worship and it like takes time to get there. And then there's nights that it's just like, oh, this is so good. This is so good. I feel like tonight was one of those nights. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, man, just like the nation and our local government, I guess, has been on my heart. We were in D.C. over the weekend. Uh, Kobe and I went and traveled to go to New York and we stopped in D.C. partly to sightsee and enjoy on the way up and partly... uh, to pray a bit and to shoot some content and some videos. And I shot um, a video talking about persecution and it was really interesting just realizing the way that we have persecution in America is very different than the way that we typically think of persecution. I'm gonna table that for tonight, but it was hitting me as we were in DC just thinking about what's happening in America at this moment in time. It has been for a little while. So tonight I want to talk, uh, this is sort of part two of a discussion on discipleship. Um, I have been reading a book that I'm really enjoying, and I'm I'm saying it ahead of time because I pulled quite a few quotes and bullet points for these messages from this book. So as someone who writes quite a bit, I always like to give credit where credit is due. Uh, There's quite a few uh, facts and things in this message from the book Practicing the Way by a guy named John Mark Comer. Uh, I really enjoy a lot of his materials, phenomenal writer awesome thinker on just the way that the church is going, how God is moving, uh, yeah, and just kind of processing the way of Jesus. So the premise of the book is that there are three vital parts of being a disciple of Jesus, and his way of saying it is basically to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do as Jesus did. So I shared a kind of an opening message on this a couple weeks ago before we left town, and tonight I want to jump into the topic of being with Jesus, which is by far one of my favorite parts of discipleship, is actually getting to be in relationship and in his presence. Before I jump into the be with, I want to talk about just a few more things. Kai's got stuff to say too. A few more things on why this is such an important topic. Okay, so the beginning of this might be a little bit more of a push-in like the last message was, so I apologize a little bit early, not too much. Um, So one of the facts that gripped me, being as I'm a millennial, that is the generation that I'm a part of, one of the facts that he laid out in the book is that every year, more than a million millennials walk away from their faith. Of the millennials who grew up in evangelical churches, only 10% even qualify as what the Barna Group has labored, labeled resilient disciples. Resilient disciples basically being like general Christians, like basic followers of Jesus. And this is one of the things that I want to lean in tonight, too. Is it possible that part of the reason for the, the stripping away of the faith has to do maybe with the way that we present the gospel? This is something I've wrestled with for many, 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 many years since I was a kid. Uh, Since even before I went to ministry school, I I got to take like an early um, Bible college class. I won't say the name of it because it was a really popular class that was done in a lot of places and I have a lot of respect for it. But every time we would go to do street evangelism, I wrestled with the way that we would present the gospel. And I'm going to get into that a little bit tonight. For a long time, we've preached about the free gift of salvation. 
And don't get me wrong, to be very clear, it is all about Jesus. It has always been about Jesus. It has always been about what Jesus did for us, and it will always be. But to be a follower of Jesus takes action. You cannot follow without intention. And I've said this before, but follow is a verb. It actually takes action to follow, and you can't passively follow someone. Mm. When Jesus presented the gospel on earth, he often did it in three words. Come, follow me. Our basic overview of the gospel is, you are a sinner, God loves you, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you believe in him, you will go to heaven when you die. In short, we have invited people to say a prayer, Jesus invited people to follow him. It isn't that accepting Jesus is biblically inaccurate. It's that we seem to left, have left out the part about having relationship and being discipled with Jesus almost entirely. At best, we will bring it up somewhere down the line if you want to become a more serious Christian. It would seem that as the body of Christ, we've been building churches that produce consumers instead of disciples. I'm by no means saying that your salvation is earned with your works. I'm saying that the gospel of a follower of Jesus is to be, with, to be a disciple and ultimately the bride that Jesus paid his life for. In Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles and you want to go with me tonight, we're going to look at verse 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21, since I don't hear pages turning, they're probably glowing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Do you know you can actually do all of the right things, so to speak, and still miss the point? The point of salvation and the point of discipleship is to be with Jesus. Salvation isn't running from something as much as it is running to someone. I understand that there is a reality of hell, and I never want to discount the fact that there is the reality of heaven and hell. But I think when we scare people into what we would even call the kingdom without giving them the truth of who they get to have relationship with, we put the emphasis on the wrong thing. Somehow we're still focused on hell and not the kingdom. The eternal reward of your life is Jesus. He is the reward. Not avoiding punishment, but gaining relationship. Eugene Peterson was quoted saying, the Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. He went on to add, Jesus as the truth gets far more attention than Jesus as the way. Jesus as the way is most frequently an evaded metaphor among the Christians whom I've worked for 50 years as a North American pastor. 
The Greek word used as metaphor for discipleship is hados, meaning road or path. And if you are taking notes, scripture references would be Acts 9-2, Acts 19-23, and Acts 24-14. Okay, take a deep breath, because now we're going to talk about being with Jesus. I just feel like it's important each time that we talk about discipleship to actually explain why this is such an important topic in the body of Christ. Why I feel like we've kind of missed the mark on actually building and growing in relationship with Jesus. This is why this is a needed thing to talk about. And I shared last time, I actually believe that in this moment in history, the greatest thing missing in the body of Christ is discipleship, is actual pursuit of Jesus. I think for a long time, we were missing worship and expression of worship. And I think we've got that. We've got a lot of that now. And it's wonderful, and I love it, and it's what my heart beats for. But we also have a process to submit our lives to to grow in relationship with him. Luke 10, we know this passage well. 38, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him him into her home. I heard someone teaching a message on this in the last week, and I loved what he said because I've had this thought before. The, the point of this passage of Scripture is to, to sit at the feet of the Lord, right? And it's wonderful. And a lot of times we actually condemn Martha, but I, the argument could probably be made that Jesus would have never been in that house if it weren't for Martha. It said that Martha invited him into the house. So one of the things that gets condemned a lot, this is a side note that has nothing to do really with tonight, but one of the things that gets condemned a lot is by people who are presence people. I'm a presence person. I love God's presence. I love spending time with him. But we would sometimes go so far as to condemn the work. But the reality is it's the partnership of being faithful and doing the work to host him, but then recognizing when it's time to submit and rest in him and be with him. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all of her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Many of us look at this scripture and it's often challenging to our overachievement selves. At least it is to that part of who I am. But I'd like to point out the positioning of Mary in a way that we would use it today. And it would be to be still in his presence. Humbling herself, learning from him, enjoying his company and staying fully aware of who he was. It is easy to assume that we would all want to stop everything and hang out with Jesus if he walked in this room right now. But my question is, would we actually? If Jesus walked in the room, would we actually stop everything that we are pursuing outside of him to just be still and quiet with him? Now, we might. We have tonight. Good news. (laughs) We're on the path of being with Jesus consistently. Saying yes to God is saying no to other things. In order to have time with God, you have to sacrifice time spent somewhere else. 
Michael Hyatt is an author that I like. He writes a lot of business stuff. He's a faith-filled man. And one of the things that has marked my life that he said was, every time you say no to something that is not important, we are saying yes to something that is. And on the flip side, every time that I say yes to something that is important or that I find to be important, I'm having to say no to something else. So in order to actually take time with the Lord, it requires sacrifice. It requires slowing certain areas of our life and giving up time that could be spent somewhere else to prioritize time with Jesus. So how do we center our reality on Jesus? We abide in him. The word abide is the word meno, pronounced men-o. It is a primary verb to stay in a given space, place, state, relation, or expectancy. To abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, or to tarry. Abiding is something that we don't necessarily need to learn to do. It's something that we actually already do in almost every area of our life. We abide in many things. The pursuit of a disciple of Jesus is to learn to abide in him above everything else. So we live in a country town, obviously, and Stan, you guys have kept bees, right? You guys have bees now, right? Okay, so if you've ever ever kept bees or if you've ever bought honey from somewhere locally, not at the grocery store, the, the chain grocery store, there'll be different flavors of honey. Remember the first time I saw a bunch of flavors of honey? I was like, isn't honey honey? I don't, under- <laughs> I don't understand. How is there all these flavors? What happens with bees is the environment that they are in changes the fruit of their labor. Okay, so the, the flowers that they're around, the trees that they're around, actually affects the fruit of their life. I don't know if you know this. I think bees live for like two weeks. It's crazy. They spend, I think it's like two weeks to make the tiniest bit of honey, and that's like their life expectancy. I could be wrong on that. That's what I remember when Jess was doing beekeeping. It's a very short lifespan. They put all of their effort and time into this tiny little bit of fruit, and they give it to us when we steal it from them. Side note, anyways, the point being, whatever they are around is what they produce. So where we abide, we will produce the fruit of the thing that we abide in. A tree that is planted in good soil produces... Can you guys talk? Because it's quiet. A tree that is planted in good soil produces good. So when we abide in the Holy Spirit, we produce the fruit of the... Amen. Without spending time with Jesus, we have nothing of him to give the world around us. At best, we have theology to debate, unholy judgment to shout at the world. When Jesus commissions us, he sends us with power as representatives of him. How can you represent or represent someone that you don't know? As a fun thought that I had when I was putting this message together, I would assume that if you guys were to be asked by some random person how I was as a musician or if I'm you know, at all capable, you could probably answer that, right? You could say, oh yeah, I mean, he, he's okay. Not the best, but he's okay. Now, on the other side, if, if you were to be asked how I was as a dancer, how many of you could answer that really well? <laughs> Honey could. That's true. <laughs> Fair. One other person. But you know who could answer that the best in this room? My wife. Why could my wife answer that fact that most of you don't really know well about me 
because we have a level of intimacy that as much as I love you beautiful people, I don't have with you. There's areas of God's heart that most people know about him. And there's areas of him that only intimate ones know about him. Imagine spending an hour of your life with someone and then trying to go and talk the rest of your life about them and tell the world about them. Imagine trying to do what you believed that person would want you to do with spending very, very little time with them. As an example, if my wife were to walk into a room and there was something that I was meant to take care of, she would probably know how to take care of it the way that I would do it. Why? We have intimacy. We have relationship. Jess and I have done a million and a half things together in depth. And so she knows how I would want a situation to be handled. She would know how to represent me in a situation that she needed to step into, even if I wasn't there in the moment directing her, because she knows me. Doing things for God is amazing, but how much more effective would we be at representing him if we knew him deeply and personally in the first place? What the world needs, what it aches for, is an encounter with the living God. That is actually what changes people. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't really think of a place in Scripture where someone was debated into being a follower of Jesus. Jesus corrected things, but people became followers of Jesus when they encountered him. We must know and carry his presence. So this is a fun question. Where can I be with him? Let's look at some of the examples of spending time with Jesus. Firstly, Scripture says to go into your room and close the door, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So we go into our secret place to spend time with him alone. Secondly, in a public gathering like tonight, where two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst. You can be fully present with God alone in your room, and you can be fully present with God amongst two or three or many more. It is not one or the other, but it's actually that both are important and needed in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Before we move on, it needs to be noted that when Jesus ascended, he sent us the Holy Spirit. He said that it is better that he left so he could send us the helper to the believer to live inside of us and to be among us. Our way of being with Jesus, with the Father, is being with the Holy Spirit. To be with the Holy Spirit is to be with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If you are following along in your Bibles, Matthew 6, verse 6 says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Mark 1.35 says, Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. This was a regular rhythm in Jesus' life to pull away from everything and everybody and spend time alone with the Father. There's a, a famous Mother Teresa quote that I really like uh, when she was asked by a guy named Henry Nouwen for spiritual direction. And she responded and said, spend one hour a day each day in adoration of your Lord and never do anything that you know to be wrong. Follow this and you'll be fine. The secret place looks different for everyone. 
In fact, it can look different in different seasons of life. For me, my private time with the Lord changes every so many months, depending on how many kids we keep having and <laughs> like how early they start waking up and how the weather is outside. And if I have time to go run and spend time down by the water or if it's, I'm spending time at home, I adjust it constantly. But the point is to wake up and to spend time with him each and every day. The point of all of it is to find that place and go there and be alone with God, whatever it looks like for you. In public, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Which brings us to hosting God's presence on Fridays. The thing that we're currently laying our life down to pursue is to make a resting place, as my youth pastor when I was a kid used to describe it, and I realized that it has marked my life. He used to say, we're here to create a landing strip for the presence of God. The point for me is to create a resting place in the earth for him. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, but where is the place that you will build for me? We come together and we worship. I remember when I first told a friend of mine, I've shared this before with some of you guys, but when I first told a friend of mine that I wanted to take two hours on Friday nights in worship, and when we very first started, we would spend two hours on Friday nights in worship, and he literally stopped and started counting in his head. And I was like, what are you doing? And he responded and said, that's like 40-something hymns. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? We're not going to sing, no, like we're going to linger in his presence. We're going to host him and we're going to do whatever he leads us in. This isn't like a just fill two-hour slot thing, but it was a completely foreign concept to him. So why spend so much time in worship? I don't know about you, but for me, to get my brain to stop being completely distracted and thinking about a million other things takes more than 10 to 15 minutes. If at any, for, listen, firstly, Jesus loves it. God loves when we sing to him and we spend time with him, but even just on my part of it, I can't get my brain to stop moving a million miles an hour in less than 10 minutes. So how do you do 15 minutes of worship and move on? I don't understand. How are you present with God in such a short time. Now, don't get me wrong. God can move in any time limit, and I've seen him prove me wrong in that. But I would look at it this way. If I had a date night with my wife, who I would rather spend time with than any other human on this planet, I want more than 20 minutes with her. I want as much time with that beautiful woman as I can have. And every time friends of ours ask us to go on a double date with some accessions, I'm like, no, (laughs) no offense, but like, I want my wife all to myself. God loves to spend time with us. He loves when we sing. He loves when we rest in his presence. So John Mark in the book points out this concept of learning to be two places at once, being with him everywhere. A.W. Tozer said, at the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. Paul called it prayer without ceasing. Brother Lawrence called it the practice of the presence and likened it to a skill that can be honed. Do you know that you can practice learning how to spend time in God's presence and get better at it? So Brother Lawrence was a monk. There's this great little book. uh, I ordered it because of this quote that I found. 
And it's basically just um, documentation of conversations with this monk who dedicated his life to learning how to practice the presence of God every single day, whatever he was doing. So Brother Lawrence was actually a dishwasher in the monastery among multiple other chores and things that he had. He was busy, he had things going on, but he is such a joyful guy. I've been reading this book with my kids at night, which I love that my daughter is getting old enough that we're moving out of just like picture kid books and I get to read like daddy books and she's into it. And it's all just documentation of him sharing like the joys that he finds in, in God each and every day. And it's beautiful, I suggest you read it if you get a chance. The Practice of the Presence of God. Tiny little book. Super, honestly, you could probably read it in a sitting, but we're taking our time. Building a Habit of Abiding. Okay, so how do we hone into sensing God's presence often and everywhere? This is what I've been working, if I, I'm working on if I can just share with you my process. Firstly, I want to start every day with him. I want to wake up. I want to read the word. I want to pray. I've actually swapped reading the Word and praying to share personally for me. I found that when I would jump right into the Word, for some reason it got my head spinning in a different way. I actually wake up and pray first now. And I just quiet my mind before Him, before I even jump into the Word. But I want to start my day with my attention and my focus on God. And then number two, I heard Bill Johnson say this years ago, and it really marked me. He said, before you go to bed at night, you're about to invest the next six to eight hours into something. Turn your attention and your affection on Jesus. So before I go to bed, I turn my thoughts and my affections on God and hopefully dream about him and spend the rest of the night with him. So start your day with him, finish your day with him, and then fill in the gaps. And you can spend all day, every day with him. If you've heard me teach more than a few times, this is something that I say all the time, which is to lean into the Holy Spirit. So I know that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And at any point, in any time, in any day, no matter what's happening, I don't have to grab a guitar and start playing or put on worship music. I literally picture falling back into the Holy Spirit. It's just the thing that works for me. I know some people are weird about picturing things, but for me it helps. I imagine literally just falling back into the arms of God who lives inside of me. And I can find his peace in the middle of anything. So abiding with him at all times. Nearly every time I pray with my family, which we get to do two to three times a day, depending on the day, I always pray just about, God, thank you for your presence and your peace. And I do it for two reasons. To make myself aware of his presence and to constantly remind us as a family that we can lean into his presence and his peace no matter what is happening in our lives. He is with us and we are aware of him. Paul said it like this, set your mind on things above. David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Two other short things I want to share. Personal experience, most of you guys know that I love to run. And when you go on a really long run, probably only one or two people have experienced this in this room, but when you go on a longer run, you need to be pretty well conditioned for this to happen, for the record. But when you get so many miles in, you get to this moment where your legs feel like they're just doing their own thing. So you almost, like, you stop thinking about, oh, I hate running, I don't feel like running, I'm breathing too hard, this stinks, I don't want to do this anymore. And all that really stops, and your legs just feel like they're doing their thing, and then your mind can drift somewhere else. You can pray, 
you can process things, you can have a conversation with someone you're running with, your breathing slows down, and your body is in motion. And it's almost happening without you having to really work at it. It's the same thing with spending time with the Holy Spirit each and every day. At first, it's work. At first, you're consciously, let me put my mind on God, let me put my mind on the Holy Spirit. But the longer you do that, the more you do that, the more that just becomes second nature. Where you're constantly in this state of like awareness of his presence and awareness of him in and around you. To share one more exercise thing, when you first start working out, it's miserable. Just if you've taken a break, even if you, visit, if you work out often and you take a while off, the first like, two to three weeks are just terrible. No one wants to do it. It's all discipline and it's terrible. But once you get past that like three weeks, then you start to feel bad when you don't work out. It's a really weird switch that happens, right? So you go from feeling terrible when you do the thing, or being challenging is a better way to say it for this analogy, to feeling crummy when you don't have physical activity. It's the same thing with time with the Lord. When you first start to really lean into spending time with Him, it's challenging. My brain goes everywhere. It's hard for me to discipline that time in the morning or whenever I take that time for Him. But then when that becomes a habit in your life, the days that your quiet time gets cut short, at least for me, I'm like irritable, slightly annoyed. Like my day, my whole rhythm and day is off. And it's for me with both. So if I don't get like good time with the Lord and I don't get to work out, I'm just like, ugh. I'm annoyed with everything. There's a story in the book. And I want to close with this. There's a story in the book that like, I don't know, just blessed me. There's an elderly peasant man who, uh, the story was told of him, that would go into this church. And he would go and he would sit for hours in the quiet every day. And after he did this for so long, finally, the priest of the church approached him and said, what are you doing? Like, you just sit here for hours, quietly. Nothing's happening. No one else is here. And the man simply responded, I look at him, he looks at me, and we are happy. I look at him, he looks at me, and we are happy. What I want to submit to you tonight is that the most important thing about your life and about my life is to know God and to be known by him. To love God and to be loved by him. Tozer said, set the direction of our hearts towards Jesus. And since I've heard that, I want to become a person who would be happy sitting in silence and simply saying, I look at him and he looks at me and we are happy. Where everything is right in the world and I lean into his presence and find peace being with God. So glad you joined us for this podcast today, friend. We pray that it brought you life and encouragement to your walk with the Lord. For more teachings, music, dance, or to give financially to the ministry and mission of Breath of Heaven, visit breathofheaveninc.org. That's breathofheaveninc.org. And if you are anywhere near Jamestown, Tennessee, definitely come join us on a Friday night for community worship nights. We'll see you in the next one.